You are listening to the Faith Church Podcast. Learn more about our church at faithinchandler.com. Together. Let me ask you this. How many of you are the oldest child in your family? You're the oldest sibling. All right. How many of you are the youngest child in your family? All right. How many of you are somewhere in the middle? Okay. All right. How many of you are the normal one in your family? Okay. I feel like way too many hands went up. How many of you will own it that you are the weird one in your family? Okay. All right. We have some honest, honest folks in here. Don't raise your hand on this one, but how many of you have ever like, looked at your family and thought, am I really related to these people? I mean, and I said not to raise your hands on that one, guys. God talks a lot about a family, uh, a family of faith. And in Ephesians, it's all about how God has brought that family together. In fact, the first two chapters of Ephesians is Paul talking about how the gospel brings people who are incredibly different together. And even in your own family, though you, you've ra- been raised in the same home, you, you share parents, you, you, you have a, the same last name, or you've come together to be this family unit, even in your own family, there can be some pretty big differences. Right? You could, there can be some major differences between you and your sibling with whom you share DNA. But God is talking about a family that is so different. It's radically different. And what brings us together is the gospel. It's Jesus that makes this one family. And so Ephesians chapter 1 and 2 are all about that, how God has used the gospel to bring us together. And then Paul talks about in chapter 3 how that it has been his unique role, his gift, his calling in life to proclaim this message of the gospel to people who are so very different. To people who are religious and not religious, people who were Greek and barbarian, people who were Jews and not. He's, he's proclaiming this gospel to all these people who are so different. And that's been Paul's unique calling and role. And that means that it's brought together some really strange dynamics. There's some relationships that are really different because of this, especially in the time that Paul is writing this to the Ephesian people. And so he wants to make it really clear, how does this work? And so chapters 4 through 6 cover how does it work for us to live as this family of God who's been brought together by the gospel. What's that even look like? And that's what 4 through 6 are. And we're going to camp out right at this, this point where he makes this transition of how the gospel brings us all together and what that means, how our lives should be different, how it should look. Right at this transition point where he starts talking about how this this family should operate. And this is important because we are a diverse group of people brought together by the gospel. Now I know that probably if someone was willing to put together a brochure and they wanted to have a really diverse group on the front of that brochure, they probably wouldn't look for a picture of a Baptist church in Chandler, Indiana. Because we don't look diverse in the sense that a lot of people think about diversity. But we are incredibly diverse because in the room, there are an incredible amount of different socioeconomic backgrounds in the room. There's some of you that you grew up in a a nuclear family. Some of you grew up and you didn't even have a relationship with your parents. Some of you, you grew up, you you were on a track towards success and living what some people would call the the elite life. Other of you, you hit rock bottom and then you kind of scraped along rock bottom for a long time. But then God in his grace 
pulled you up from rock bottom. Those of you who were proud in your self-righteousness, God in his grace pulled you down from that. And so there's an incredible amount of diversity in the room. And when Paul was writing to the Ephesians, he's writing to a very diverse group of people. And so he starts off by pointing out all these things that are very similar, that, that they have in common. And so he reminds them, you have your one body, you have one spirit, the Lord is working among you, there's one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father. He wants them to start with what brings them together. What do we have that's the same? What is true about all of us? And that is what's so beautiful about the family called the church. Because even though we are so different, we have all of these things in common. When we put our faith in Jesus, we have the same hope. We have the same calling. We have the same God. We've been baptized into the, the same spirit. And, and Paul even doubles down on this, that he says that this one Father is in us all and through us all, that he is a part of all of us. And so in chapter 4, Paul wants to start off in this place of unity, because the family of God should be characterized by unity. And we're going to see that in verses 2 and 3. So let's look at this scripture together. He says, with all loneliness and meekness, with long-suffering and forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul wants them to hold on to this unity. And then he goes on in verse 4 about all the things that they have that are the same. One hope, one body, one Spirit. And the reason that he's emphasizing this is because what Satan would love to do to us corporately as a church body is he would love to create division. He would love for us to get into cliques. He would love to, for us to get into to units that look at the other group and go, man, they are annoying, right? For those of you that had siblings, how easy was it to get along with your siblings? Not easy, right? So my daughter is nine and my son is six, and I feel like every day I'm like a referee in a WCW wrestling match. They're just constantly fighting over everything. <laughs> Lincoln will come into the room. Haven was looking at me. I'm like, so? <laughs> right? But when they're being antagonistic toward one another, they can find the smallest thing to fight over. And what Satan would love is he'd love for the brothers and sisters in Christ, those that have decided to follow Jesus and become a part of this family, he would love for us constantly to be looking for reasons to not get along. He would love for us to constantly be looking at the things that are different about us, the way that, that you aren't like me. And so he says we've got to endeavor to hold on to this, this unity. And the way we do that is with forbearance and patience, love. We've got to be patient and loving with one another. How many of you had a sibling that required a lot of patience? Yeah. All of us did. If you had a sibling, you had a sibling that required patience. How many of you work with someone that requires patience? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah? How many of you... How many of you, you have a neighbor that just requires patience? Yeah? There are people all around us in our life that require patience, and church is going to be no different. 
But it's so important that we give ourselves to this unity, that we, we pursue it. We need unity. Satan would love to get in between us and cause these problems. But while we should be characterized by unity, Paul wants to make it clear that that does not mean uniformity. It does not mean that we're exactly the same. So skip down to, to verse 7. So he's talked about all the things that are the same. And then he says in verse 7, But, and so there's a contrast here, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. In other words, we have all of these things that are the same. They're exactly the same, but God has given to each one of us something that makes us distinct. God has given each one of us a gifting or a calling in the family of Christ. Wherefore, he saith, when he was ascended up on high, he led captive, captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now skip down to verse 11. He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men, and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. What's he talking about here? He's talking about we need one another to fulfill these callings because there is an evil one out there who wants to deceive us. And we need the people of God on our side to fight against that evil. Verse 15, But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ. Now he's referred to us as a body, and he's making it clear that the head of that body is Jesus. From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. What we see in this passage is that we all belong to one body and we all have a calling and we all have one mission. And we're going to tackle this a little different this morning. We're going to do it backwards. We're going to start with the third point. We're going to start with we all have one mission. I heard the story. I don't know if it was you know, if it really happened or if somebody just kind of made it up because it was funny. But a neighbor walked outside and he saw his neighbor was trying to get this dryer through the door. And so he dropped what he was doing. He went over to help his neighbor and they struggled for five minutes trying to get this dryer through the door. And finally, the man said to his neighbor, man, I don't think we're ever going to get this thing in there. And the neighbor said, in there? I'm trying to get it out there. <laughs> they were fighting against one another. They were unclear on the objective. And if we're not clear on the objective, on which way we're going, what is it that we're trying to accomplish, we're going to constantly be at odds with one another. Thankfully, God's Word makes it really clear what our mission is. In verse 12, He spells it out. That he's given us these leaders for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, if you read that just at face value, you're like, boy, we were way off because there's nobody perfect up in here. And if we're supposed to be perfecting one another, well, we are never going to be perfect. 
but we'll always be perfecting. We'll always be working towards that. Uh, Pastor Eric and I were, um, we were looking up a, a church that we were, we were kind of curious about this town that uh, we were wanting to know, like, the gospel witness that was there. So we were looking at some churches uh, in this town, and, and Pastor Eric was reading me the bio of the, of the pastors there. And, and some people have a little bit different doctrine than us. Um, and specifically, this church had the doctrine of perfection. And so the staff bio of the pastor said he was saved at this age and he was perfected by the Holy Spirit at this age. And I was like, man, that would be a lot of pressure <laughs> to tell the church before you came. Like, I was perfected by the Holy Spirit at age 14. Um, because, uh, you know, you know that you're just going to show everyone how not perfect you are. And, and the last 14 years that I have been here have been a demonstration of how the, fa the fact that the Holy Spirit has not perfected me yet. <laughs> I am far from that. And while I am not perfect, the Holy Spirit, the work of the Lord, the truth of Scripture is constantly perfecting me. It's making me more and more like Christ, making me more and more like Jesus, who is perfect. And we believe that we will be perfected when we see Him. We will be like Him. And we're going to constantly be pursuing that on this side of eternity, and it will be realized on the other side of eternity. And so we're constantly working to perfect the saints. And this is hard. This is really hard because I don't know if you noticed, and I know that this is the 930 service on Spring Forward Sunday, but we're not perfect and we're actually really far from it. There's a lot of work to do, isn't there? If we're honest with ourselves, there's a lot of work to do. And the work is greater than I can accomplish on my own or that Pastor Eric can accomplish. This is the work that we are all being called to. We all have a calling. We all have a gifting for this work. And you say, well, I can't help anyone become perfect. I'm not perfect. You just need to be one step ahead. And as we walk with Christ, we become more comfortable and confident in showing others the way. And so you don't have to be perfect to show others the way towards the one who is perfect. There's this, there's this great anxiety that can come off of our shoulders because it's not up to me. It's up to Jesus. And you don't need to try to be like me. You need to be like Jesus. And the only time you should follow my example is when I'm doing well and following Jesus. Even Paul, the one who writes this letter, he would say in the New Testament, follow me as I follow Christ. But if at any point... I step out of line with Christ, stick with Christ. Follow Him. And this is huge. Because if you read the rest of this letter, if you read through the end of chapter 4 and chapter 5 and chapter 6, what you see is that Paul lays all of this, this groundwork out that God wants to do in us because we've become followers of Christ. We have become a new humanity. And there are so many things that we put off and so many things that we put on. And so he tells us in these chapters that we take off lies and we put on truth. We take off anger and we put on peace. We take off theft and we put on generosity. We take off gossip and we put on encouragement. We take off revenge and we put on forgiveness. We take off promiscuity and we put on self-control. We take off drunkenness and we put on the influence of God's spirit. And that's a long list. And probably all of us, if we were to go through that list one by one, we could say, yeah, I've taken off this sin, but I haven't replaced it with this good. 
Or I'm in the process of taking this thing off, but I, I, I haven't gotten it completely off. It, there's a, still a remnant in my life. God is working on this. And we need one another to help us in this path of taking these things off and putting on what is good. And so it's for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, and we need one another to do this work, this work of ministry in helping other people take off the old and put on the new. Because there, there's a group of people here that belong to Faith Church who have some things that they need to take off and some things that they need to put on. And I can't help everybody get dressed. I'm, I'm doing well to get my six-year-old ready for school, okay? So if this taking off and putting on is going to happen, if we're going to be that new humanity that Christ calls us to be, there's going to have to be some saints that are perfected for the work of ministry. We experience God's grace, and then we turn around and we help others. And what is it he says in verse 12? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edification. Edification is building up. What's it mean to edify? It means to build somebody up. And that's perfect for us, because what's our mission statement here at Faith Church? Didn't know there was going to be a pop quiz, right? We are building the church. Our friends and neighbors will join in, that our children will lead. That's what we're doing. And when you hear that, you should never think that we are building a building. You should never think that we are laying block and, and, and nailing together two-by-fours and framing up a structure. You should always think that we are building the people because we build the church by building the people. We build the church by edifying the people. That's what we're doing. And so who's on your side? God has put you in a family. He's put you in a church so that you can be built up. Uh, years ago, when I was, I was first pastor here, we kind of had the tagline, uh, Faith Church, we are a family of faith. And what I found pretty quickly is that in Chandler, a lot of people, to a lot of people, that was not appealing. Because their family of origin was not something they wanted to, to get back into. And so the idea of a family was not a good one. It was not, not an encouraging thing. Like, I've already tried family, and it didn't go well, so I don't want to be a part of that. Now, the purpose of this family is clear. It's to build one another up. And if you came from a family where you were not built up, but you were constantly torn down, where you were not cared for, know that that's not what we're talking about. And that might be baggage that you've ascribed to the term family, but what we're referring to here is we're referring to building one another up. The way that we build this church is we build one another up. Help one another become that new humanity. Why? Because as it tells us in verse 14, so that we're no longer children. This family is to raise up spiritual adults so that we're no longer children. We all know that it's is incredibly tragic when someone grows up and remains a child. Right? Now, obviously, we want everybody to keep the innocence of a child. And Jesus tells us that we need to be like children to enter into the kingdom of heaven. That means we have this simplistic trust in him. And we are innocent in terms of what is unholy or sinful. But Paul says, I don't want you to be like children who are constantly tossed to and fro, who are carried by every weight, every wind of doctrine, who are constantly deceived, constantly tricked. That's not what I want for you. And what we want for you is we want for you to know the truth so that you can become a spiritual adult 
who's not carried off by every wind of doctrine. Now, now this points to something that's really elemental and important, okay? This points to the fact that the church is founded upon truth, that this is about truth. When we look at that passage in Matthew 16 where Jesus says, I will build my church, he says, I will build my church upon this bedrock of truth that I am the Son of God. It all has to be founded upon truth. If we had a church that was just incredibly loving and everybody felt welcomed and valued and known here, but we never talked about anything of substance, we might all feel better, but we wouldn't be better. That would be like giving you pain medicine without ever giving you antibiotics. That would be like giving you pain medicine without ever setting the bone that is broken. We must have truth. And the reason that we must wage this war that we are in on the warpath, the reason that we must wage it with truth is because Satan is waging war against us with deception. That's what he wants. He wants to deceive you. Every time he pops up in Scripture, he wants to deceive people. And the way that Satan wins is for us to not believe the truth. Now, we have in our, in our, in our heads, like, Satan is winning if I, my life is hard. And my life is just like, I don't have the things that I want and everything is a struggle. No, Satan would be totally cool with you having everything that you want and your life being incredibly easy and you being rich, super wealthy. He would be totally fine with that if you had all of those things and did not believe the truth. That's what he is at work to do, to deceive you. And so we wage the war by giving people truth. How do we fight against Satan? How do we help one another? By telling one another the truth. And that's the reason that Paul says here in this passage, speaking the truth to one another in love. Now, stick with me, okay? If that's what we're doing, if that's how we wage war together, if that's how we come alongside one another, that means that all of us need to be speaking the truth in love. All of us need to be speaking the truth in love. Think back to that sibling, okay? You're building blocks, right? And your sibling comes and knocks it down. It's a pretty standard sibling experience, right? Maybe they're younger than you and they don't know what they're doing and they just kind of go through and, and knock it over. Or maybe they're older than you and they know exactly what they're doing and they just want to knock it over. And it doesn't matter how fast you build with those blocks. You will never be able to build faster than they can knock them down. And it doesn't matter how good a job I do preaching the gospel and the truth up here, I'm never going to be able to build faster than someone can destroy and tear down. It is always easier to destroy. I mean, think about the fact that someone, someone can say one negative thing to you, and you still think about it 12 years later, or 25 years later, or 40 years later, and you don't remember what I said last week. I don't even remember what I said last week. Right? Because we hold on to the negative so much more tightly. And so we'll never be able to outwork a destructive and deceptive person. And for that reason, Paul gives us some really important words in verses 25 and 27. So if you still have your Bible, let's look at that together, okay? Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 and 27. And I would have done well to put my bookmark in the right spot. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 to 27. Wherefore, put away lying. 
And speak every man truth of his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be ye angry, and sin not. Neither let the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to who? To the devil. When we lie to one another or we lie about one another, when we get angry with one another and we don't deal with it and the sun goes down upon our wrath and it becomes bitterness, when there's drama and there's gossip, what we're doing is we're saying, hey, Satan, this spot right here, set up, set up your workshop, man. Come, come and do what you will. And so we must fight against deception. We must fight against destruction by holding on to the truth with love. Because Satan will constantly be at work tearing things down faster than we can build them. So we all have a mission, and we all have a calling. And the mission is the same. We're all on the same mission, but our calling is different. And he says here in this passage that God gave some pastors, some apostles, some evangelists. God called me to be a pastor. That position is filled. There are probably some days that I would quickly trade with you, okay? Especially when I have to deal with a deceptive or destructive person. But there's a calling that God has put on my life. And there's a calling that he's put on your life too. And every one of those callings is, is, is important. In fact, Paul would even tell us in Corinthians that no part of the body can say that it is more important than another. Because there's no part of your body that you would just like, yeah, go ahead, cut it off, amputate it. Every part of the body is important. And so all of us have a calling that we must fulfill, we must answer. Uh, my buddy in high school, <clears throat> Daniel Webster, I'm still friends with him to this day, and um, Daniel is one of ten children. Ten children. Now, that was kind of common back in the day, but that's not very common now. When Daniel and his family would ride down the highway in their 15-passenger van, which was their family car, people would stare at them and count as they drove by, counting how many kids were in the car. And what I figured out whenever I would go over to Daniel's house or I would spend the night with him is that the larger the family gets, the more responsibility the siblings have to take for one another. Because even though I was in the same grade as Daniel, he was caring for his youngest siblings with all of this responsibility. I would go to his house and he would have all these things that he had to do to help his younger siblings get dressed. Why? Because if there's 10 kids, mom and dad can't do everything. And they've got to recruit the help of the older kids. And so the larger the family gets, the more the siblings have to care for one another. And those of us who have two kids or three kids, and we're like, I don't know how people who have 10 kids do it, they just recruit the older kids to become surrogate parents to the younger kids. And as the family gets larger, they have to care for one another more. And the same is true for the church. As our family gets larger, we have to care for one another. We have to take more and more responsibility of, of each other, looking out for one another. But what happens is, What happens is we, we kind of like the family of God to be like a household where mom and dad do everything and the kids have plenty of time to play video games. That's what we'd like, right? I mean, that, that's, that's what I would like. 
And, and there are places that have kind of figured out this efficient system of making it possible for everyone who belongs to the church to, to come in, listen, and there are people who are paid professionals who do all of the caring and serving and looking out for one another. And that's not, that's not who we are here. We are called to care for one another, and it is the, the calling of the leadership to equip one, uh, each one of us to care for one another. And when we opt out of that, when we don't want to be a part of that, we are stepping out of the family of God. Now, I remember hearing, overhearing a mother say to one of her older children, listen, you're a part of this family, so you have to help care for your siblings. And that, that's how it is. That's how it is. We have to care for one another. God is our Father, and He has brought us together in a family. We have to care for one another. And when we opt out of that, what we do is we choose to remain orphans. I don't want to be a part of this family. And we know that, that children need someone to care for them, to look after them. And so we know that, listen, you, you want to get this big softy crying, you tell me a story about an orphan. Um, a few weeks ago, after, uh, after worship, Nicole and I took the kids and we went to, to a restaurant and we saw some friends who, who are part of a, of a strong church elsewhere in our community and we got to see their, their baby that they adopted, Anna. I've never cried into a burrito before, but I almost did that day. Because here's this, this beautiful child who did not have a family but now has a family. And that's what God did for us. He made it possible for us to be adopted into this family. Even though we were far from God, through the, 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 the sacrifice of Jesus, we have been able to become a part of the family of God. We were orphans. And we have been adopted into this family. And not only do we gain a heavenly father, we gain brothers and sisters who are of the family of Christ that we can serve and love and care for. And it's a beautiful thing. But we're no longer orphans. But we've been grafted into the family of God. And, and some of you, some of you struggle with this because you feel a loyalty to your, to your first family. You feel a loyalty to the, the, the family or the group of friends that you thought of as family before you came to know Jesus. And, and something that, that, that breaks my heart is when I'll hear a story of an orphan who um, they, they've gone through just, just a, a great trial and they've been adopted older and they want to hold on to these, these habits or these patterns from their birth family because to, they feel like to let go of them would be to betray their family of origin. And, and I know that for some of you, you feel like becoming a part of the family of God, that it's so different from who you are, so different from who you were raised to be, so different from the person that you were, that you feel like you're betraying yourself or you're betraying the group of friends or you're betraying the family that you can't have. And I want you to hear this, okay? Joining the family of God is not about losing your identity. It's about finally fitting where you belong. It's about finding where you belong. You were a son and a daughter of God who was lost, and you have been found. You've been brought home. And you've been brought into a family of brothers and sisters in Christ who are on your side. 
who want to see you just flourish and experience the love and peace and grace of Jesus. And Christ made that possible for us. He not only made it possible for for us, He came seeking for us. He went searching for us. And like lost children, brought us home. When I am, when I was a boy, two separate occasions where my parents left me at church. My mom and dad often had to drive separately to church and my father worked second shift, so sometimes he would have to drive right from church or right from where we went to lunch right after church, depending on how long the preacher goes, you know. And then he would have to go straight from work. And so there were two different occasions where my dad thought that I was riding with my mom and my mom thought that I was riding with my dad. And like, as soon as I realized that I had been left, I just like bawled my eyes out, you know, crying. This is before cell phones. You couldn't just like text someone and be like, you know, where are they going to lunch? I don't know, you know. And so they, they would get there and realize they'd forgotten their son and they would eat lunch and then come, no, they would come get me. <laughs> <laughs> and man, just that, just that 15 minutes that I'd been forgotten, that I was lost. Um, some of you, you've been lost so long that you don't even know what it's like to be found. It feels foreign to be a part of the family of God. And what Paul says is, the gospel has brought us home, brought us together, so we can put off those old habits, that old life, and take on the identity of the family of God. And I'm so glad that he's done that. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer.